on this week's 88 Problems in Sports 81, presented by TheOhioSportsBlog.com. We break down the Buckeyes' big win against the team from up north, the Michigan Wolverines, 62-39. Also, we get into college football playoff scenarios for the Buckeyes and how the Buckeyes can make the playoffs. Also, the Brownies, big winners, two wins in a row, go down to Cincinnati and wipe the floor with them. 35-20, led by Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb and Greg Williams. This is going to be a jam-packed episode, so let's go. Eighty Problems in Sports A1 is proud to announce our partnership with at Thrive Fantasy. And Thrive Fantasy is your daily fantasy sports Prop bet app downloaded now for iOS and Android. Go to our Twitter page at 88 Problems SAO and pinned to the top of our page is a link. Get $10 for free when you sign up uh, for with Thrive Fantasy. Play your prop bets, they are going fast. It's a great partnership. Go to our, our Twitter page at 88 Problems SAO. Go to the link, get your $10. Get a bet on some prop bets, and let's win some money. 88 Problems of Sports A1 Podcast is brought to you by NCSD Apparel. They can be found on Twitter at NCSD underscore apparel. They were established this year in 2018. They make t-shirts from the 330. Represent Northeast Ohio everywhere you go with shirts from NC Sports Design. You can shop now at ncsportsdesign.com. They have a promo code NCSDNEW at checkout. Get 20% off your purchase for any new followers. That's NCSDNEW at checkout to get 20% off your purchase if you're a new follower. They have a great new shirt. Go to their Twitter site right now. They have a shirt. They have a Muni Light shirt. I'm ordering this thing, getting 20% off right when we're done by entering the code N-C-S-D-N-E-W at checkout. Big weekend in football this weekend, Charles, is the Buckeyes win the big game over Michigan, blow them out, actually 62-39. to Also, our Brownies won again back-to-back games for the first time in a long time. Uh, but let's start with the Buckeyes. Look really good against against what was supposed to be the nation's number one defense. Yeah, we finally, finally got a complete game from the Buckeyes. You know, we've been looking for looking for this all season. Um, you know, they played a couple good games early. They played a good game against Penn State. You know, and they seem to tail off after that Purdue loss. And to put up this kind of effort against your rival. Um, you know, it just says that this team came ready to play and that Michigan didn't come ready to play. I mean, they absolutely slaughtered this team and it proves how much of a better, how much of a better coach Urban Meyer is over Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, he's definitely, he's got his number in this series. This That's four in a row over Harbaugh, seven in a row um, overall. So, um, you know, Michigan, they came into this game as a four-point favorite. And Ohio State basically blew their doors off. Michigan made it close there at halftime when we dro- when Ohio State dropped a kickoff. But other than that, 
it was all Buckeyes all day long. Uh, you know, Michigan had no answer for anything that they did. Yeah, to to quote Baker Mayfield, I woke up feeling dangerous on Saturday because I, you know, anytime the Buckeyes are an underdog in the Urban Meyer era, era I do believe we're undefeated. Um, so you know, I love being an underdog, especially when we're against our rival like uh, Michigan, because you know it's just going to give us that much more of an extra chip, and we use that. And we kicked their ass, frankly, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, Dwayne Haskins absolutely carved up their defense. Um, there was a correction on the stats, so he ended up throwing for 396 yards and six touchdown passes, breaking two records in the Big Ten. He broke Curtis Painter's um, record for most uh, single most passing yards in a single season. And then he broke another Purdue quarterback's records in the form of Drew Brees, for the most touchdown passes in a single season with now 40 touchdown passes. So, you know, it's incredible what Haskins has done, you know, and I think he deserves to be um, considered for the Heisman right now. Yeah, I would think he would be in the top five invited to New York at the end of the year for the Heisman. Uh, if not, then there's a huge disparity in the vote. The, um, and I don't have any idea why because he's continued to put up numbers. Uh, regardless of what the team has been doing, he's put up numbers every single week, just like you're seeing here, 20 to 31, 396 and six touchdowns. So um, the one thing I did like about the Ohio State offense on Saturday was in the week, couple weeks past, it's been Dobbins 163 yards, Dobbins 200 yards, Weber 130 yards. This week we had a two-headed monster. Weber had 13 carries, 96 yards, and Dobbins had 12 carries, 46 yards which I think it would have boded, boded well for us if the game would have been closer towards the end because they were both had 13, 12 type carries. They both have been pretty fresh going at them at the end. If it needed to be at the end of the game, it was closer. But that bodes well, a two-headed monster there um, going forward to the Big Ten Championship game. Yeah, uh, Weber was coming off an injury, which I had no idea about until – after this game, so that's why we hadn't seen him in the last couple of games. But you could honestly say we had a three-headed monster because Dwayne Haskins has looked great running the ball. I've said that he needed to move his feet more and he needed to run the ball more. And it seems like the past few weeks, um, starting with the Nebraska game, he's you know he stopped being afraid to run and has gotten his legs under him and has made some really nice runs because there were some really nice carries in this game that I think opened up the offense. You know, it opened up um, uh, lanes for Weber and Dobbins to get through, and it opened up the passing offense. You know, as you can see, you know, Michigan tried to play a lot of man, but they just couldn't deal with our speed at receiver. Um, And a lot of – we just broke them for a lot of big plays. And as you know, Dwayne Haskins is extremely accurate with um, any of his passes. Um, And he seemed to – you know, he seemed to get away from that um, the last couple games, but he got back to that in this game. Um, you know, um, if he's not in the Heisman race, you know, I'm kind of with you. You know, I don't see why not. He's put up the numbers. You know, it just kind of seems like um, he's not getting the respect. As you know, he was not listed in the top three for the Maxwell Award, um, as that was um, Will Greer, Kyler Murray, and Tua Tagovailoa. Um, you know, and that that's just insane to me. You know, it just seems like he's being punished for um, the way his defense is playing because, um, you know, he's him and the offense have pretty much carried this team um, late in the year. 
yeah, they've been they've been outstanding week in week out, uh, as evidenced by last week's fifty two fifty one uh, victory. They needed every every one of those fifty two points to to carry them. Um, the thing with the Maxwell is it's it's probably hard. It's hard to to um, it's three people, so it's you know the finalists are down to three. So it's that's that was probably a hard three people to get to. I'm not sure how they got to it, but um, that's the reason. I, that's the reason he's not. If there's a fourth guy, I'm sure he's that guy, but it's down to three, so that's that's a tough, it's a tough uh, animal to crack there. And they're probably thinking he'll be back next year and he'll probably win it next year. But um, but I mean, back to this game. I mean, he spread the ball around. You had uh, Paris Campbell led the way with six catches, 192 yards, and two scores. KJ uh, Hill four catches. Olaf two catches. Demario McCall came back from that uh, drop kickoff and had two catches for 44 yards, averaging 22 yards a catch. I mean, he just spread the ball. You go down this list and just spread the spread the ball all the way down to a bunch of receivers, which Haskins has been doing uh, all year long. And eventually, one of these guys is going to get on a not so good corner or safety, and that's going to be the mismatch that they're going to exploit, and this guy's going to be able to catch balls and make plays because they've been doing it all year. Yeah, let's talk about the receivers a little bit more because, you know, Brian Hartline has done an incredible job. I think he's the best wide receiver coach in the country right now. You know, there's just been immediate improvement, um, and, you know, he's he's just – he's every bit of the recruiter Zach Smith was, but just a much better coach. And I think part of that is is because he played the position – um, let's look at a guy like Chris Olave. You know, that kid's a freshman, and he showed up in a big-time rivalry game. Um, two catches for two touchdowns, you know. That kid just proved that he's a primetime player, and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with next year when a lot of these guys aren't here, when you have Paris Campbell, K.J. Hill, and Terry Mack leaving after this year. So, you know, there's going to be – he are, he already got um, increased playing time with the injury to Austin Mack. You know, and just think of the way he performed in this game now. Um, you know, he's going to get even more playing time come next season. And correct me if I'm wrong, did he score on the block punt or did he block the punt? He scored on the block punt. Okay, yeah. I believe that was that was Terry Mack who um, blocked it. There's three touchdowns for a freshman in the, in the big game of the year. That's pretty impressive. Um, going back to, like, just going back to the overall rivalry, um, you know, Ohio State's won seven in a row. I don't know how many times Michigan's beat them in the 2000s, but it's not very many. Um, until Michigan beats them, it's really not a rivalry anymore in my book. Um, they brought, this is about the third or fourth coach they brought in who was supposed to turn the program around. And Harbaugh's just not getting the job done. He's not making this a rivalry, as evidenced by the 62-39 uh, score yesterday. I mean, Michigan's basically – they're getting to this point in the season and embarrassing themselves as Harbaugh can't win a big game. Um, Urban Meyer is basically making him, you know, basically his daddy right now. Yeah, I agree completely. This is absolutely not a rivalry. Um, Ohio State has absolutely owned um, Urban Meyer. I mean, Jim Harbaugh. Um, and, you know, I, you, you just call – Urban Meyer is Jim Harbaugh's daddy. You know, I keep seeing all the memes – where it has um, Urban Meyer's face plastered on a on a dad, and then it has Jim Harbaugh's face plastered on a baby. You know, um, Urban Meyer just continues to outcoach, and out and his teams outperform Jim Harbaugh. 
Harbaugh's teams who, you know, they, they seem to come in um, very overrated. You know, um, they, they, you know, they, their defense was rated number one, but you know, they were stacking it up against cupcakes um, in the big 10, you know, the big 10 is not as good as it has been in years past, even though it is still one of the toughest conferences to win. But um, Michigan was stacking up their performances against the likes of Rutgers and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they lost to Notre Dame early. They haven't shown up in big games. As far as I'm concerned, this isn't a rivalry until Jim Harbaugh proves that he can beat Urban Meyer. Yeah, and they're having a rough, rough time doing it, and it seems like they're still a ways away because there's a lot of those guys in the stat sheet here that will be back for the Buckeyes next year um, against the Wolverines. As Michigan just lost one of their studs, Rashawn Gary, just today uh, declared for the NFL draft, so he's going to be gone. Um, that defense, this seemed to be their year because they had a lot of seniors on that defense. They finally got their core, who they thought was their quarterback in Shea Patterson. Um, they had a lot of older players, and had, they just, they just, I don't know, wet the bed there yesterday as the Buckeyes put them away, 62-39. And with that, the Buckeyes then put themselves into the college football playoff conversation. Um, as the standings come out on Tuesday, I firmly believe the Buckeyes will either be fifth or sixth um, in the rankings moving up from number 10. Yeah, I got to believe right now they're going to jump pretty darn high. They should most certainly jump LSU who just lost to Texas A&M, so that's a third loss on their book. So we, you just eliminate LSU right now. Um, UCF, they lost their quarterback. They still won. They're undefeated, but, you know, their best win is against the Cincinnati team that's not ranked right now. Um, and then, you know, Oklahoma, who is sixth right now, um, but I just – I can't see them – them getting the ranking ahead of us, even though the committee has respected them more than us because of their dynamic offense. Ohio State has just as dynamic of an offense. Um, their defense is not – their de- our defense just isn't as bad as Oklahoma's. Oklahoma's defense ranks 111th in the country, which is absolutely insane. To say that, you know, yeah, their offense is dynamic. Yeah, their offense has carried them. But Ohio State has basically done the same thing with Dwayne Haskins. So I could certainly see a scenario where we jump Oklahoma – um, you know, um, I, I'm not sure if we'll get quite that much respect because the committee has not respected us at all this year, but I definitely foresee a big, huge jump in this, in the college football playoff standings. Oh yeah. And the only conversation tomorrow will be, uh, you know, five and six. And I don't think there'll be much separating five and six and it'll come down to this weekend in the big 12 title game and the big 10 title game. Uh, and, you know, Georgia being at four and three undefeateds being ahead of them and probably UCF being at seven, which will get them, you know, they win the AAC, they'll get into their uh, New Year's Six Bowl, which would be awesome for that program. Two years in a row being the best power or uh, group of five team in the country, which would be awesome for them. But, um, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma has been, they've been awful on defense. They're averaging 50 points a game, uh, whereas the Buckeyes are, all, are averaging 40 43 points a game, so there is that disparity in offensive output and defensively. Buckeyes are a little bit better than Oklahoma on defense, so I don't I don't know that there'll be any the discussion. That'll be the big discussion on Tuesday where to where to seat them, and I think that'll be the big big coming out. It'll be a lot. It'll be telling of who can make it because somebody's going to lose between Alabama and Georgia, and if Georgia loses, they're going to be out. They're going to be. 
five or six or seven, whatever. And then the five, one of those five or six teams will move up to four. And I think if, you know, Oklahoma has a good good draw in their Big 12 game, being that it's Texas who beat them earlier and is ranked higher than Northwestern, and the Buckeyes will have to put on – I think to jump them, the Buckeyes will have to put on a show like they did in 14 when they beat uh, Wisconsin 59 to nothing. I agree completely. Um, to leave no doubt on this committee, they have to absolutely slaughter Northwestern. Um, you know, um, that that was the uh, point that the committee made in 2014 um, was the way that we beat Wisconsin with a third-string quarterback. You know, it's going to have to be repeated again. You know, Northwestern is well-coached. They will come ready to play. You know, they don't have the same athletes or the same caliber of players that Ohio State has, but I guarantee you Pat Fitzgerald will have his player, players ready. He will have some tr- tricks up his sleeves, and if they don't work early, um, then Ohio State is going to run with this game. Um, to comment on UCF real quick, I just want to give um, some prayers to McKenzie Milton as he suffered a gruesome injury. Um, you know, um, I, I don't want to say that I called it, but the dude is five foot 11, 185 pounds. And it's just so hard to hold up for a guy that small when you're constantly taking hits. But he, he, he um, suffered a gruesome injury, had to go to emergency surgery. And I hope everything comes out okay with this because the last thing I want to see is any player go get hurt or, and, and of the magnitude of that injury. I, I hate seeing that stuff. But back to the Buckeyes, you know, um, Georgia obviously has to lose to Alabama because, you know, I think if um, Georgia wins, you know, that's too – Alabama's um, just going to drop to four. They, they won't drop out of the playoffs, and, you know, that's bad for Ohio State. So Alabama has to win the conference championship in order for Georgia um, to be out. Um, you know, um, and Oklahoma, you know, um, they, they have to be beat by Texas again, honestly. Um, to guarantee, if, if you want, if you're looking for a guarantee, Oklahoma has to be beaten by Texas, but I could see a scenario where Oklahoma beats, um, Texas and Ohio state slaughters Northwestern and the committee gives Ohio state the nod just because I think the, um, defensive, um, disparity is, um, in Ohio state's favor. Well, I can definitely see if Oklahoma wins. Say they turn the tables on Texas and they win, win 48-45 and Ohio State wins 50, like they just did 62. Say they win 62-39, but the game's never in doubt. Um, I can definitely see the Buckeyes jumping Oklahoma into that four spot and into the playoff and Oklahoma being left out uh, this year. Um, but, yeah, that, that'll all play out this Saturday. This Saturday night's the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis. Uh, Buckeyes Northwestern and then down in uh, – I believe it's in uh, Jerry World, right? In Dallas. Um, the Big 12 championship with uh, yes. yeah, Texas and Oklahoma. They're playing at noon again this Saturday. So um, everything will be resolved this Saturday. And then on Sunday is the big selection show. Then our show will be right after that. Now turning our attention to the team on the shores of Lake Erie. We just won our second game in a row. Looked like a, cap- a competent, capable team. Led by Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb on offense. I mean, they this game was never in doubt either. Thirty-five twenty was the final score. Bengals made a little run as we got conservative in the second half, but there was never any game pressure on the Browns this entire game. They came out, put it to them, and won this game the way they should. Yeah, um, I fully expected us to come out and and just destroy Cincy just because their defense has been absolutely atrocious 
all year. Um, you know, they're dealing with a lot of injuries, you know, but um, the Browns offense came into this thing really hot. You know, Freddie Kitchens has been on a roll since he's taken over as offensive coordinator. And Baker Mayfield has just seemed to have gone to a whole new level since the coaching changes have been made where Hugh Jackson was fired and, as well as Todd Haley. So, you know, um, it seems like the team is is playing um, or is reflecting the play of their head coach in Greg Williams right now um, and they're playing their asses off and you know they're coming out and they're kicking the crap out of teams so you know it's great to really see that from these Browns um, I loved how fluent the offense moved I love the, the first drive was like the Mona Lisa of Browns offense right there it was just magnificent to watch you know they just went right down the field and scored and Baker Mayfield just seems to be getting better and better game by game Oh, my goodness. Baker's 19-26, 258, four touchdowns. Most of that damage was done in the first half as they went really conservative in the second half. But Chubb, 28 carries, 84 yards. I mean, the guy, they just kept handling the ball, handling the ball, and he just kept getting yards. Three yards of carry with a touchdown. I mean, he was just – he was – he kept them at a 50-50 ratio, and they had to load the box. If they didn't, Chubb would have broke one of those and had 125 yards and probably two scores. But they had to load that box, which allowed Baker to be 19-26. And then we spread it around. And Joku, five catches. And Joku really came alive in that second quarter. Callaway, four catches in the score. You know, Chubb even had three catches in the score. So he's doing it running and catching. Duke probably had his least amount of touches he's had since Freddie Kitchen took over. But I think that was a lot because Chubb had 31 touches. Duke had three touches. But... And now I think with Duke, after the last couple of weeks, now people are starting to key on him, you know, so it's opening up other things, whereas he really wasn't a weapon before Freddie Kitchens took over. Yeah, I think the thing is with Duke is people kind of know when Duke comes in, he's the pass catching back. The Browns have shown to give him a few carries, you know, um, with Freddie Kitchens there at offense coordinator. I think they got to do that a little bit more, you know, um, I definitely think um, Nick Chubb can handle the load that he definitely got. He most certainly can. Um, I think part of the reason why um, the they, the box was stacked against him, because like you said, they went really conservative um, in the second half. You know, after that first um, score in the second half, um, it just seemed like they stopped um, passing the ball with Baker. And that kind of seems to be one of the um, same mistakes the Browns keep making. They get away from things that they do well um you know and why do that um when you're when you're rolling so much um you know you gotta play with your quarterback and I get it we were up big but you know what who cares you know it's a division rival you know let's let's go up as big as we can you know um but anyways you know back to uh Nick Chubb you know he made a spectacular catch I mean a wide receiver couldn't have made a better catch than that that was absolutely an insane catch you know, Baker is spreading the ball around. You know, let's give it up to Antonio Callaway. You know, the dude has seemed to finally start developing. Um, you know, we I've also noticed a lot that the drops have gone away um, in the last few weeks. There's um, there's pretty much been no drops. Um, so the, these Brown receivers are, you know, they're developing um, and they're making plays for their quarterback, and it's showing in the offense. Yeah, I think that goes a lot to Greg Williams, the head coach. Um, it's not okay. I think it's a practice. It's not, this has to be something from practice. It's not okay to drop the ball anymore. Um, cause you saw like before you saw four or five, six drops a game 
um, you know, from guys. And now, you know, it, a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with the guys are maturing. I mean, these are all first, second year guys we're talking about. And Joku, second year, Callaway, Chubb, Baker, first year, um, Higgins, first year, um, Duke Johnson, he's a youngster. Um, you know, you got all these young guys and it comes with development, but it also comes with Greg Williams demanding that they catch the ball. It's not okay to drop the ball. And now that they're spreading the ball around to be you Perriman, know, you know, Spells, Duke Johnson, Higgins, Landry, Chubb, Callaway, and Joku all catching the ball. You know, if you drop balls, you're not going to get balls because these guys are catching them. So now it's a little in-room in, in competition, if you will, and it's making everybody better, everybody raising their game up. And then that it elevates Baker's game. And now, I mean, the Browns, as you see, are now rolling. Yeah, like I said, that they, they completely reflect their head coach right now. You know, um, Greg Williams has the um, – huddle break that he has with these guys come get some bitch um and i think the uh the the browns are just reflecting that right now um you know they're just they're lining up and they're telling everybody come get some you know just you know they're they're playing great you know um jarvis landry he was one of the guys the drop seemed to be affecting him you know and he's usually a short-handed receiver but as you can see you know he's definitely back to his old self again um and and the guys are just making plays and you're seeing um, a guy like David Njoku blossom, absolutely blossom in his second year. Um, he seems more comfortable with Baker Mayfield at quarterback, and he's making plays for his quarterback. You know, we were calling him Stone Hands earlier this year, um, but he seemed to really develop and become a strong playmaker for these guys, and that's exactly what we need out of our number one tight end. He seems to be finally living up to the uh, first-round hype. Yeah, it's, it makes a huge difference when you got a quarterback – so we'll put a ball where you can catch it, where you expect it, and then you can make plays afterwards. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, everybody's playing better. And it starts with the quarterback. It, you know, it's awesome. We hit number, we hit the number one pick. Seems like we hit a home run with our quarterback, and now we can build around him. Hopefully, and who knows, playoffs this year maybe, but um, definitely playoffs in the future, in the near future, um, if not this year. And with that being said, we're talking playoffs here. What what do you think the real chances are Greg Williams can become the head coach of the Cleveland Browns next year? I think there's a legit chance that he could be a head coach at this point. You know, if the Browns went out there 9-6-1 and one, and they get a couple breaks towards the end of the year like the Cowboys beating the Colts in Week 15, um, you know, um, they're looking good for the playoffs. You know, it's going to be hard to do because we do have a pretty tough schedule coming up, but I think all of our games are winnable at this point. Um, the Houston Texans game is going to be a hell of a matchup. Um, they, they have an explosive offense and a very good defense. So that's going to be a test. But, you know, I think Greg Williams um, should rightly be considered um, for the head coaching job, regardless of the way the Browns finish this year. If they finish 6-9-1, six, you know, I still think he should get gain consideration, you know, because um, a lot of what comes with coaching is consistency. And like I said, you know, John Dorsey is looking for a leader of men, and these uh, that's what exactly what Greg Williams did. These these guys play for their head coach. You know, they love him to death, and they play hard for him, um, and they go hard for him day in and day out. So I think um, he should have um, a legit shot, if not the best shot, to um, become the Browns' next full-time head coach. And he's getting an on-field interview every single week, which is the greatest thing he can have because, like, the turnaround from – Let's just take the Tampa Bay game and compare it to this game. I mean, the turnaround from that game 
to this game is unbelievable. That game had 13 penalties, you know, killed themselves with drop balls and penalties and turning the ball over. Whereas you go on the road to the Bengals and you just jump on them right now, play well, um, you know, and come around and come away with an end division, went on the road, running away from it. I mean, he's the turnaround from the beginning of the season to now is night and day. It's unbelievable. Um, I would not be upset if Greg Williams got the head coaching job, kept Freddie Kitchen as offensive coordinator, you know, maybe either elevated the son the defense coordinator or brought in another one. But, I mean, I like what Greg Williams has done from the beginning of the year and the change that was made to him and then what we're doing in the back end of the year. I mean, it is unbelievable what he's doing with that young team. Yeah, um, they, they play aggressive. Um, you know, um, they play aggressive, but um, they, they're disciplined, you know. Um, Greg Williams coaches an aggressive style. As you know, he loves to blitz. You know, they love to go for the turnovers and stuff like that. Um, we're a ball-hawking defense. So, you know, they play aggressive like their head coach wants them to, but they're very disciplined in the way that they play, which is very nice to see, you know, because as you know, we're one of the probably one of the most penalized teams under Hugh Jackson. Um, and, you know, like I said, penalties is a reflection of the discipline of your head coach. And, you know, there's just so many improvements and the quick improvements that this young roster has made um, under Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens, um, you know, uh, it's just amazing. You know, I think if we keep him, he keeps his son, Blake Williams, as defensive coordinator. We keep Freddie Kitchens as offensive coordinator and we have some consistency in the scheme. So the guys aren't having to learn um, new schemes again. Cause I think, you know, I, you know, we, we have all these names out here that I would love to have, you know, but that's the one thing that scares me is changing the scheme again, you know. So I, I would love for Greg Williams to get the shot. You know, it seems like he deserves a shot. It seems like he's more than ready for the shot and up to the task. Yeah, and he's, he's been a head coach before, and it seems that he's learned from his first stop in Buffalo, um, you know, maybe what not to do, uh, you know, and how to coach these young kids and whatnot and what, how to pull the best out of them. And I think his, his on-field interview every week, I don't think John Dorsey's the type of GM to just jump, you know, to just jump at a guy because of his name. I think he wants, like you said, a leader of men, somebody that can bring this team and develop them. Because there's a lot of – we're starting and playing a lot of first-year, second-year guys in key positions. Um, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of turnover on this team next year because of the age of the guys and, you know, where they're at in their contracts. So it's basically going to be the same team. Uh, you know, so having the consistency of Greg Williams – Freddie Kitchens and is, you know, elevating his son to defensive coordinator. So they have the same schemes and know what they're doing. Uh, you know, it could be an advantage for us going forward. But back to your point about penalties, I just pulled it up. You know, when Hugh Jackson and Haley were here, we had three games with double digit penalties. We haven't even been close. Since Williams took over against Kansas City, we had four, three, or four. Seven against the Falcons and seven against the Bengals the other day. I mean, that's that right there is going to win the games because we had four penalties for twenty yards against the Chiefs. I mean, that's that's nothing. That's five false or four false starts. You know, it's not big penalties. We're not getting those big penalties like against the Buccaneers. We had fourteen penalties for one hundred fourteen yards. That loses you ball games. Where you know these penalties they're having now are just they're mental penalties, but they're not big time mental penalties. Yeah, um, self-inflicted wounds will absolutely kill you, and it proved to be a determining factor in a lot of games 
early on in the season for the Browns, you know. Um, and what Greg Williams has done is he's come in and he's calmed this team down um, and, you know, um, you know, made them really um, patient, patient. They've, they've been really patient with him and really disciplined. Um, and, you know, he coaches with a lot of fire and intensity. And I don't know if you notice it, too. But I've noticed that he's been a lot calmer on the sideline since he's become interim head coach, which is kind of amazing to see because, you know, he is a very fiery guy. You know, we saw it a lot in um, hard knocks. Um, and to see that is actually quite refreshing. You know, it, it just shows that he understands the, um, the job as a head coach um, and what he needs to be for this team. You know, he's letting Baker provide the fire on the field while he's providing the calm demeanor on discipline on the sideline. Yeah, and a lot of his fire earlier might have been because we're doing some dumb stuff on offense, which will always get a defensive coordinator fired up. But, um, you know, the Brownies looking good. I mean, they have the Texans coming up next week, you know, which will be a test. But they can legitimately – they have the uh, Texans and the Panthers at home and then go to the Broncos. We need to win one or two of those three games. And, I mean – and then because the last two are the Bengals, who we just beat, and the Ravens, who we've already beaten. And um, so, I mean, we can win three out of the next five games. I mean, that, that's a hell of a jump right into next season. It's a successful season for the Brownies. And, uh, I mean, just that would be awesome going into the offseason. It would be an incredible accomplishment either way. Um, um, like I was saying earlier, I think out of these next three games – um, we have a chance to win all of them. The Texans is probably going to be our biggest um, test just because of how explosive their offense is. But, you know, um, our our offense is explosive too, and I think we can keep up with them offensively. The one thing I would worry about against the Texans is how we hold up defensively. We have seemed to show up against um, teams with good offenses this year. Um, you know, if you remember the Saints, we held them to 21 points, you know, um, the tie with the Steelers earlier in the season. Um, so, you know, we do seem to show up when we play teams with high-powered offenses, um, defensively at least. So, um, you know, as long as we show up defensively and our offense keeps moving the ball like we do, I think we can very much win that game. I think the Panthers are most certainly beatable. Um, you know, they, they, they play good on offense, but they're inconsistent on defense. Um, and then the Broncos, you know, they've just been a hot mess this year. You know, I think they're um, – it would be wonderful to see us beat them. I definitely think we need to win at least two out of these three of these next games, but I, I definitely can see us winning all three and potentially winning out and making the playoffs, which I would love to see right now. Yeah, we won the last four, five. We're, we're nine, six, and one in the playoff hunt. Um, and who would have guessed that as the beginning of the season? Not I. Um, you know, so that could be awesome. You know, the Brownies do make the playoffs. That would be, I mean, fantastic. I think Greg Wave definitely gets the job then. Um, I mean, just the, tur- the turnaround of the team under his leadership has been unbelievable. But, you know, here's the Brownies. They're fun to watch every Sunday. Um, I missed them last Sunday when they were off. But, I mean. You, you know, last Sunday was kind of boring without them. Oh, it was completely boring, yes. Yeah, and you know what? Look. look you know, the Brown the the Browns not being there just you know, it, it football just wasn't the same that weekend, you know. I mean, I went to the Maryland game that weekend and had a hell of a time. 
you know, but Sunday, you know, just watching NFL football was just not the same without the Browns. No, it wasn't. And one more thing on the, the Bengals game, which was made of a big deal of today, um, and I didn't find it a big deal. In fact, I found it awesome, was Baker Mayfield's snub of Hugh Jackson in the midfield and also his comments after the game in the press conference. Um, I thought it was awesome. Baker's the face of the franchise now. He's the leader of the locker room. Um, basically, I think he was telling us what everybody in that room felt about Hugh Jackson going down to Cincinnati right before we played him twice. That's exactly what he was doing. You know, it was very clear that um, Hugh Jackson was talking out his ass um, that entire thing. And these, these players had no respect for him. And he pro- they, they proved it out there on the field. You know, and, you know, for Baker to say those comments, you know, I I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, I want my quarterback to be saying that about a guy who did nothing but lose when he was with us. And then, you know, after as soon as he gets fired, he goes to he runs to a division rival um, where he gets to play us twice a year. So I absolutely love Baker's comments. I have no problem with that whatsoever. No, I think Baker's point was, you know, he was in the locker room two weeks ago or whatever it was whenever he was still employed by us. And he, uh, you know, he's like, hey, go, let's go play for each other. Go, you know, ask him to play as a team, play for him, whatever. And then, you know, once he gets – the second he gets fired, he starts throwing players under the bus, throwing management under the bus. You know, it's everybody's fault but Hughes. And then he runs to the Bengals, uh, who we have to play twice in the, in the end of the season. Exactly. And that was the main problem with um... – uh, Hugh is that he constantly threw other people under the bus. He never took full responsibility. And the second he got fired, he's throwing players and coaches under the bus. And you know, you know that's going to rub some people the wrong way. So of course, a b- guy like Baker is going to get fired up about that. And I love how he spoke up for the entire locker room like that um, and said, you know, look, you know, this guy shouldn't be throwing us under the bus. You know, he's in this situation because of him, not because of us. Um, and you know, it just speaks to the kind of fire and the kind of leader that Baker Mayfield is to step up and to make comments like that about a former head coach, you know, who, you know, doesn't even have the decency to say something good about the organization as soon as he's uh, let go. You know, he, he dug his own hole and he's got to lay in it, you know, and that's that's just what it is. And, you know, Baker was speaking for the locker room and everybody agreed with him when you saw what Demarius Randall did after he intercepted the ball. And I saw somebody tweet today that that picture should go on the, the wall where LeBron's picture was when he hand, when he picked the ball off and handed it right to Hugh Jackson. That might have been – I mean, I was dying laughing when that happened. That might have been the best thing that happened all day Sunday. That was absolutely comical. I mean, the way that he, you know, just went up and handed the ball, then you saw Hugh take the ball ever so daintily, and then slap him on the head, you know. It was just funny, you know. It was just like, hey, here, look. Look what I found. And then gave it to Hugh on the sideline. Absolutely hilarious. And I loved every bit of that, you know. Um, And he wasn't the only one, you know. Jarrell Peppers apparently had words with Hugh before the game, um, and Hugh was telling him to go back over to his sideline. So, you know, these players just did not respect Hugh. They didn't trust him. Um, and they, they've just been proven right by the way that he's thrown them under the bus. My favorite part of the whole game, other than the Randall interception, was every time the Browns scored or um, they had a big play, they they pan over to Hugh Jackson on the sideline, and they'd show him looking up at his, like, the big boards, almost like, and, and 
like amazement. Like he was like, this is really the way it's supposed to go. You know, it's like, you know, is this the way it's supposed to happen? He had no idea. Like it was funny because every time they po- panned over there, he had this puzzled look on his face. Like he had no idea what was about to happen. Yeah, exactly. He just looked like in awe or just um, he had a complete look of stupidness on his face <laughs> every time the Browns scored. You know, uh, the guy, you know, he just he's just not a good coach. And, you know, the, the laughable thing about Hugh Jackson now is apparently I saw a report by Bleacher Report that says if he does well in his position with the Bengals, that he'll be considered for head coach of the of uh, the Bengals. Um after the season and I'm like oh please yes please bring it on because I would love to see the Browns just stomp him over the next few years yeah I would I would take that all day long um Hugh Jackson head coach of the Bengals I'm on I'm on that bandwagon for the rest of the year so we can have that two times next year but now Charles you know what time it is it is time for our favorite segment of the week the list and I know you got some repeat offenders I got a couple guys but who do you have on the list? I, You know, I got some repeat offenders, and I got some new ones to add this week. Um, but I'll start with my first repeat offender, um, and it's the college football refs. Um, you know, that um, Michigan-Ohio State game was one of the most poorly officiated games I've ever seen in my entire life. And it wasn't just the bad calls in Ohio State. There were bad calls on Michigan. You know, there was just no consistency going either way. Um, I, I've seen um, a picture floating around. There was a point where Michigan had 13 players on the field on defense when Ohio State was in the red zone. How does 13 players get missed? Explain that one to me. You know, there's just no consistency in the way that they call games. You know, they continue to make stupid calls. The targeting rule is one of the most uh, um, absurd rules in college football right now. So college football rest, repeat offenders, you just made the list. Uh, they're they're going to be on the list, I think, every week. Um, the missed – how about the non – Helmet to helmet on Dwayne Haskins slide when Urban got the, that, when Urban gets his son sportsmanlike conduct that was that was uh, unbelievable. I was so mad about that. Are, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. He was speaking up for his player. They want to talk about this is for safety, and you don't call helmet to helmet contact on on a quarterback. A quarterback for God's sake! That that was insane. Did you see um, LSU got beat seventy four seventy two in seven overtimes? Uh, Saturday night. Did you see the play, um, the spike right before Texas A&M scored with no time left to tie it up? They had five guys on the line of scrimmage. Like, how do you miss, how do you miss that? How do you think you know, you're looking right down the line of scrimmage as a referee? How do you not see that and see that you have four receivers in the backfield, which makes it an, an illegal formation? Yeah. Did, did we take the replacement rest from the NFL a couple of years ago and put them in college? Because that's what it seems like we're getting right now. Oh, it's uh, it's unbelievable. But the college refs, you are making the list, and you'll probably make it again next week. But for my first guy on the list, Charles, it's UM alum, college game day announcer Desmond Howard. You make the list for your stupidity Saturday morning. Saturday morning, Desmond Howard was trying to make the case for Michigan to, if Michigan would have beaten Ohio State, which we all know they didn't, and it wasn't close, but if they would have beaten them, won the Big Ten title, they should have jumped an undefeated Notre Dame who had already beat them in a head-to-head contest because Notre Dame doesn't play championship games. Well, Desmond, first off, you should be a professional in college game day. You should be, you know, unbiased. 
take a take a note from Kirk Herbstreit, who Herbstreit, I think, is one of the best in the business at doing this. He went to Ohio State, played quarterback there. Everybody knows it, but he leaves his bias out of it on you know on TV. You know, Desmond, how ignorant do you have to be to say that a, a team who beat a team head to head and is undefeated should be jumped by one lost team? that got beat by that team head-to-head. So for that Desmond Howard, for your stupidity and making America that much dumber, you are going on the list. Yeah, that was absolutely an absurd comment by Desmond Howard. The fact that he can't ever hide his homerism for his school anytime they sniff, they start to sniff some kind of good, um, good season, you know, just speaks to, you know, how poor a job he does, um, um, on college game day, you know, he, he can never hide it, you know, and like you said, you know, Kurt Herbstreit is one of the best in the business, you know, everybody knows that he played for Ohio State, but he does not put his homerism on the, on the camera. He'll say it on Twitter, but he will not say it on, live when he's being filmed, you know, he keeps it to himself, you know, he keeps it to his personal account. So Desmond Howard, you just made the list. Um, for my second repeat offender, you know, um, I think this one is obvious, you know, I've been very critical. I think we've both been pretty darn critical of them this year, maybe me more especially. Um, but the fact that they kept LSU, a two-loss team, where they were, they kept Oklahoma where they were with their crappy defense, um, moving UCF up, you know, um, just the inconsistencies that they continue to show. College football playoff committee, you just continue to make dumb decisions. And I, I you know, it. It's the, it's probably the human element, um, you, you know, and, and people are going to find a way to complain about it. Um, and it's just like how they complained about the BCS, the computer element. Well, here's a good way to solve it. Make the human element a part of the vote. Make the computer element a part of the vote. Combine them both together, and I think you would get a more accurate, um, a more accurate uh, ranking, more accurate rankings. So, college football play, playoff committee, you just made the list. Charles, I'm going to jump on on that one. I'm going to preemptively put guys on the list. I'm going to put whoever finishes five through eight fans from the teams that finish five through seven or eight on the college playoff committee next Tuesday. I'm putting them on an entire week ahead of time because I know it's going to happen. Preemptively going to do it is that we're going to get those fans comparing, saying our loss wasn't as good as yours. Your loss was worse than ours. Our win was this. We were this. We were that. We should be in. Well, you know what? Only four teams get in, and the committee charge is putting the four best teams in. So I'm preemptively putting their fans on the list because I don't want to hear it next Sunday when the when it comes out. Take care of business, and you won't have to argue your point. But so preemptively, fans are on the list for next Sunday. Well, I guess you're putting me on the list because, you know, I, I could potentially be one of those fans. You could. Um, Charlie. You could. You, you know, if Ohio State, like you said, if they just taking care of business um, earlier in the season, you know, um, it is better to lose early than it is to lose late. But, you know, um, I think Ohio State could still make a case regardless of that loss, you know, because I've always – I've been saying this, um, and I know you differ on your opinion, but I think how you play at the end of the year – should matter just as much as how you were playing early in the year, you know, how you win, you know, uh, you know, Ohio state has had to rely a lot on their offense. So, you know, how you win necessarily can be, you know, how the, how um, one side is done, you know, 
Um, and, you know, I think you take into account where Oklahoma has done magnificent offensively. But, you know, I just – the way that they're constantly bad defensively and giving up 40-plus points all the time. I mean, the Big 12, there's absolutely no such thing as defense. So, you know, um, I think you could, there, there will be a case that could be made for Ohio State. It just seems like it's a little unfair that that Purdue loss is proving to be an anchor. Um, and I know that I'm on the list this week. So, you know, I guess I'll just have to suffer for the next couple of weeks if they don't make the playoff. <laughs> oh. oh, well, it is what it is. But hopefully they jump them and have a good showing like they did in 14 and you won't be on the list. Exactly. You know, let's hope for the best. You know, I think at this point, you know, it's guaranteed that Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame are all in. Obviously, Notre Dame had an undefeated season. But anyways, let's get back to the list. Um for my third person on the list this week, you know, this guy, he's a Fox, he's a Fox Sports 1 personality. Um, there's often I find my times agreeing with him, but there's times where I often disagree with him. You know, he seems to talk out his ass sometimes just to get, you know, reactions and stuff like that. And for him to go live on a show and say that he has two sources saying that Urban Meyer will retire at the end of this year um, is absolutely absurd. You know, the way Meyer coached, in that, in that Ohio State Michigan game, that definitely does not seem like a guy who's ready to retire. That seems like a guy who wants to keep proving people wrong. You know, the people that wronged him this year for a lot of the stuff that happened, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's just amazing to see how well he coached. And it's absurd that Colin, Colin Cowherd can make those comments. You know, so uh, Colin Cowherd, you just made the list. Yeah, Cowherd, he, he likes to run the uh... – the you know he likes to he likes to attack certain fan bases. You remember the lady from Alabama? He used to call him Cow Turd um, on when he was at ESPN. But he, yes. he likes to go after certain. He likes to, he liked he went after Baker earlier in the year. Um, I, I've I've been watched I probably haven't watched him in I don't know a couple years now. I remember when he went after Baker this year. You know his stupid you know didn't look he he likes the quarterback to go celebrate with his team. You know, whatever. I like quarterbacks to throw touchdowns. I don't care who they celebrate with. But, you know, he just seems to go out, just tries to rile people up, shock jock kind of thing, trying to be a fake Skip Bayless type person. So, you know, Colin Coward, you're, you probably deserve to be on the list before. But you're definitely on the list right now. So my third person on the list is Jim Harbaugh, the coach of the team up north. You're a fraud. Jim Harbaugh's a fraud. I'm going to say it. He's a fraud. He was brought into Michigan to make this a rivalry. He has not done it. He, you know, he's getting seven and a half million dollars a year. He is two and two against Michigan State. He beat Michigan State twice uh, when they had garbage teams. He lost that Notre Dame to open the season, and he's lost four times in a row to Ohio State. The last one being 62-39 when they were favored in the game, and he had he had everybody thought he had his quarterback. He had a senior laden team guys that he had brought brought in. He's been here four years. These are his guys now. So, Jim Harbaugh, you are, and it's probably not his fault because the media builds him up on the same pedestal as Saban and Meyer who have earned their way there. They just elevated him there. But Jim Harbaugh, you're on the list for being a fraud. Yeah, he's absolutely a fraud. He was brought in to make Michigan great again and has completely, uh, has just underperformed year by year, you know, um, I'm going to pedal off of you real quick. A while back, Nick Saban went, um, was on FS1. You know, I think he was replacing Cowherd on his show. 
a video resurface resurface of uh, him saying how he would want Jim Harbaugh over the likes of Bill Belichick, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, and some other really good coaches. That's absolutely absurd. You know, Jim Harbaugh's proven nothing. He's uh, being paid seven figures to finish second and third in his own division every year. So, Nick Wright, you just made the list. Yeah, Harbaugh's never – this is his best finish, I think, second in the Big Ten East. He's never won the Big Ten East because well, he can't beat Ohio State. And uh, he's never played in the Big Ten Championship game because he can't beat Ohio State. So, this is – and last year he finished fourth. I know that. And this year he finished second. So, yeah, big uh, – Jim Harbaugh, you're a fraud. Nick Wright, you're insane. You guys are both on the list. And that's that does it for the list because the list now has me fired up, Charles. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, you know what? I think I got one more bonus ad real oh. quick. Uh, Damian Woody of ESPN. Oh, first good take. one. Good one. Yes. Mr. Uh, High and Mighty, who wants to come down on Baker Mayfield for his comments after the game and, and take Hugh Jackson's side on this one. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? I don't think I need to explain this one further. Damian Woody, you just made the list. Damian, like, I don't know. Damian Woody, they, I don't know. Baker Mayfield can do what he wants in Cleveland. He, I mean, if you, you didn't play for Hugh Jackson, you have no idea what it's like. You know, this guy, I get it. He could go for the, I, the problem is, he is not the problem that he went to the Bengals, I don't think. The problem is, every week he threw players under the bus, blamed everyone, blamed assistant coaches, blamed ownership, blamed anybody but himself for the for how bad the Browns were. They won zero games last year. It's hard to lose every single game in the NFL. Um, you know, so that was the problem. Is he's throwing guys under the bus. I mean, if you take Hugh Jackson's side, you deserve to be on the list. And Damian Woody, you are on the list, and you're going to continue to stay on the list. And, I mean, yeah. Charles, we, we could go on and on with uh, personalities that were trying to come down on Baker Mayfield, but I'm all on Baker's side. I mean, call me a homer if you want, but I'm Team Baker all the way. And, you know, all those other personalities who thought he was wrong, you know, can go fly a kite. Exactly. I mean, you know, Baker is, is going to be Baker. You know, you can't change a guy's personality. And I wouldn't want you to change that personality. You don't see – um, you didn't. You didn't see Bill Belichick trying to change um, Tom Brady's um, uh, niche for wanting to yell and throw his helmet on the sidelines. You know, you don't see um, any coaches wanting to do that. You know, so why why try and change Baker? You know, for the, for the fact that you know uh, that's just who he is. You know, it, the guys get on his side. He wins football games and he throws touchdown passes, and that's what matters. One hundred percent. That's what matters. And. You know, I'm on Team Baker, and that's – I'm with you. That's I, – I don't care what he says and what he does, is, especially when it pertains to Hugh Jackson. So, that about does it for us here at 88 Problems in Sports Saint 1. Jam-packed episode today as we reviewed the Buckeyes and the Brownies winning. We had our everyone's favorite segment, the list. So, join us back here on Friday as we get you ready for the Big Ten Championship game. Big game on Sunday with the Browns and the Texans. The selection show on Sunday for the college football playoff. Charles, it's going to be a jam-packed weekend, and I can't wait to be back here previewing it with you on Friday. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, um, I love recording with you. You know, you give me great opinions to bounce off of. We seem to bounce off of each other well. You know, it's always a great weekend when the Buckeyes and the Browns um, win in the same weekend. You know, and I think it can happen again. So let's look for – I look forward – I'm looking forward to Friday. Come back with us. 
Join us again on Friday as we preview the Buckeyes and the Browns. Yep. And let's go Bucks. Let's go Brownies. And see you here on Friday.